0: Hey everyone, did you know that the Phileas Club is supported by its listeners? It's true. You can go to patreon.com slash Club and join the hordes of wonderful listeners that support the show financially. The link is in the show notes so you can access it from anywhere easily and quickly. Thank you everyone for your support. This is the Phileas Club for November 2017. We talk about Africa, China, Germany, and we talk about the role of government. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Filius Club. This is a show where we get people from different parts of the world, different cultures, different backgrounds, and we get together and discuss what's been happening in the news in the past month or so. Uh, My name is Patrick Beja, and today I have a wonderful panel of different people from different parts of the world, as uh, the show demands. Uh, First, let me welcome back, uh, after a long absence, Eric Olander, who is now in Shanghai. How's it going, sir?
1: Wonderful. It's great to be back on the show and to, to talk with everybody, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion.
0: So you have a very specific uh, expertise area of expertise. You know China very well, of course, uh, and you also know Africa, which is going to make this episode really interesting because things have been happening there in the <laughs> in the it's country per- of yeah, Africa particularly right particularly relevant
1: this <laughs> week of all of, of all weeks with what's been going on in Zimbabwe but uh, yeah i have been hosting the china and africa podcast now for 8 years and the china africa project blog twitter feed and uh, almost half a million folks on linkedin who are following our discussions about china africa so uh, yeah so great timing this week for yeah. uh, for a, a show like this i'm very very
0: curious to hear what you'll have to say about china's influence in uh, what's been happening in zimbabwe and talking about Zimbabwe, uh, we also have Tafatua, uh joining us from Zimbabwe. And uh, I'm really glad we can get you on because as we were hinting at, there are some things happening there. How How's it going?
2: Uh, I think everything's going well. Um, everyone's excited. I mean, it's uh, just a different environment from a week ago or yeah. even <laughs> uh, more different than a, w- a week before that. So, I mean, it's like a period of, of, of immense change. And, and and so we're watching to see what happens and 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 you know what what the new direction looks like
0: yeah so we're going to talk about this um we we i will mention we had a, a special about Zimbabwe uh, a few a couple of months ago and uh, we had Bongai on the show and uh we mentioned at the beginning of the show that we couldn't we weren't going to talk about the political climate because it was um it was hazardous to discuss these things at the time. <laughs> and, and now...
2: I'm sure, would have, I'm sure Bongai would have spoken, as would I. Um, yeah. Yeah, but- it wasn't as bad as, as people said. I mean, it, unless you were saying something pretty bad, it, 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 people just left
0: Right, so we'll, we'll get into that, uh, but I'm happy that we can talk about all of this a little bit more freely. Um, you'll notice that there is no Turkey on the show today. I would have loved to be able to discuss what's been happening in Saudi Arabia. Unfortunately, there are also maybe some reasons that some people might not be able to discuss this. Uh, Turkey is uh, having a wonderful time in Japan at the moment, so he's not on the show, but... Yeah, you I I guess you understand uh, that the situation is complicated anyway, and take those hints and get why we might not have been talking about things in the past few months. Uh, But we are going to be able to talk about Germany, where things were going okay. And now things are not going great. But thankfully, uh, Matthias is here to let us know about all of this.
3: How's it going, sir? Oh, thank you for having me on again, but I'm not sure I'm a really good Turkey substitute. <laughs> well, no one <laughs> is
0: a good Turkey substitute, um, but you will be able to tell us why uh, Angela Merkel is in trouble, apparently. It, yes. It was going okay-ish, and now not uh, so much. But uh, Yeah,
3: well, ish is the right term, I guess. Yeah.
0: Um, But so we'll get to that towards the end of the show. But first, um, of course, I want to talk about France and uh, what's been happening there, which is basically uh, what's been happening in Zimbabwe and Germany. I mean, there are some things, uh, some local things, the mayors aren't really happy with what's being asked of them. Some more um, uh, economies, more uh, uh, savings being demanded of the local uh, institutions and the mayors are not very happy. They had a a Congress a few days ago, and the President Macron went to talk to them and tried to salvage the situation, which he apparently managed a little bit, but not entirely. And there are some some issues with the education community, and some students are being also somewhat unhappy. The thing is, Um, To summarize, and I'm going to get to something else in a second, but to summarize what's been happening in the political climate in France is that some people are unhappy, but everything that Macron is doing had been uh, in his platform, uh, in his uh, uh, campaign platform. So it's kind of difficult to pretend like people didn't vote for it or did, even though he didn't have a huge majority and there was all of these issues with all of the parties getting a large percentage of the votes. So he doesn't have a huge legitimacy, but he was still saying what he was going to do. And now that he's doing it, a version of it, um, the people who are complaining are not getting a lot of traction. So the protests, the uh, anger have not been uh, followed up by a large population movement that's not to say it's not going to happen in the future uh especially as he's implementing his rigorous policies and not as much of his um social protection policies that he was uh trying to sell us on when he was campaigning but the 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 bet is still this will help the economy and when the economy goes better everything will go better and we can you know do everything we were hoping to do so no burning cars yet no, but, well, you know, no, no more than usual, I would say. No more than <laughs> usual. <laughs> um, so that's a very quick summary of what's been happening in France. I do, however, have a, a short monologue, as I've been uh, doing in the past few times. Um, because continuing on this idea that we are freaking out too much. You know, I was uh, playing with the idea of a, a, a stress gradient, an anger, an outrage gradient to try and instill into people the idea that not everything deserve a 10 out of 10 uh, anger. And sometimes you can be annoyed by something or d- dislike something, but not go out on social media or in the streets or to your friends and be completely outraged out of your mind. And it seems that Everyone is on that mode when anything is a little bit uh, problematic, the outrage goes to 11 immediately. And continuing on that thought, I've been uh, noticing that, uh, especially in it, the, the, the sort of catalyst for this realization, was the video game world and especially the video game world on YouTube and um, the amount of anger that. Some of the YouTubers instill in their in their followings about everything, and it led me to think that I think it's pretty accepted that sex sells. Uh, If you want, if you make something sexy, people are going to be drawn to it, and they're going to be. uh, It's an easy way to get more traction. And the realization was, uh, it's trivial when you put it like this because it's true in everything. But the realization is, anger sells. And uh, this is really a a way of presenting things that is just a way to get traction, to get audiences, to get people riled up. And uh, it's something that is very true in the video game world, I think. And You can't just be a little bit annoyed by something. You have to be up in arms and and getting the pitchforks out. And of course, it's also true in the political world and political commentary world. And I'm not only talking about uh, the right here, because I think people, especially in this audience, will say, "Ah, oh, but of course, you're talking about Fox News, and they try to to anger you, and the the Twitter accounts, and all of this." I think it's very true of the left as well, and just the um, media in general, be it traditional or social, and even people like it's one example, but even people like um, uh, Ah Oliver, what's his ah. Uh, John Oliver. John Oliver, thank you. Even John Oliver, whose work I really enjoy, and I think he's pointing out things very cleverly very often, I think it's important to realize, consciously or not, he is trying to make people angry. And of course, you're gonna have InfoWars, which is the most obvious and outrageous example of this. It's completely, you know, over the top and and quite frankly, very silly. But This is an extreme of a a phenomenon that I think we're seeing everywhere. And that fact that anger sells is very important to realize. And when you are at least aware of that this is what's happening, um, I think you're maybe a little bit less likely to fall prey to that technique because it's just a commercial – that's what it is. It's a commercial technique to get people engaged, angry, and an, an easy audience that's going to mob up and carry your message. So yeah, anger sells is my new hashtag, and I think it's an important one, uh, just like sex sells. So I don't know if you guys have any, uh, thing to add to this, but anger sells.
2: Yeah, no, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I've noticed that, uh, and, and obviously, say, two, three months ago, I was wondering why uh, in our country, that doesn't work. I mean, people <laughs> would just don't get angry. I mean, that, that, no matter what happened, um, they, they maybe in, in, in sporadically get angry, but never. So I was because I mean, it's something that if, if, if the economy is gone, everything's gone, and and, and and people have lost their pensions, and they still don't get angry. Um, so I've seen it in other countries um, where you know. But what the danger with anger is that you divide things, and you can never, they, you can never achieve anything with the division. Mm. I think that's the one thing that you have to be careful with when you get into, when you do get the power uh, and you've divided people, you can't reach across the aisle. Because remember, the, the, everyone's still angry at each other. Right. Uh, so I think
1: that's, it's, yeah. it, 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 that, that's certainly where we as Americans are right now. More and more we're segregating ourselves to one side or the other. Um, more and more we're living only with people who are like us. More and more are algorithms are segregating our feeds so that the point is that we're only seeing information that Facebook and the various algorithms think that we want to see. There's very little diversity of opinion. And what I find interesting as an American now, there's this new routine that we often have to go through when we first meet somebody. So I was taking a flight the other day and I sat next to an American guy on my way to Bangkok. And, uh, you know, the first thing we're doing is is kind of just sensing which side of the fence are you on? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and you're probing each other a little bit just to kind of say, are you a Trump guy? Are you not a Trump guy? Are you from California? Are you from Nebraska? And and putting all these kind of, these little code words together to figure out who am I talking to? And is this gonna be a hostile conversation, a short conversation, or are we gonna actually agree? It turns out that he was of a political persuasion that I, that, that is different than mine, and we tended to have a, a rather civil conversation, but it could have easily veered off mm. into awkward land. Uh, and but there's this tension now that exists and and it's right beneath the surface it's very very close and it's, it to me it's very sad as an american that that's where we are and i think anger plays a a lot of a big role in it because i think
0: sometimes anger is definitely needed um it, as you were uh, saying Tafatswa, but it, like anger is needed but if you're always angry then anger loses its value and on top of that you kind of lose perspective on things and you can't judge situations uh correctly because you're judging them from a very emotional standpoint as opposed to a rational standpoint so you don't get a good view on things but so anyway i don't want to do the entire show on on anger but really that like beyond the fact that we're angry for me what was striking in that uh it was in practice in the uh loot boxes debate that has been happening in the video game industry whether or not you agree that those are an issue there were a few youtubers that were very uh, you know i call them uh anger mongers you know it's really they're peddling anger as a currency to get views and uh and and likes and shares, and it's really anger mongering. You're manufacturing anger for a topic that would require concern or uh, inquiry, and you're jumping straight to anger. And that is a currency that those people are using for personal gain. And so, yeah, that anger sells conclusion is kind of terrifying to me. And of course, it is applicable in many, many areas. So anyway, uh, so let's let's switch to um to actually Zimbabwe and what's been happening there uh, and you were saying tafatsuka people don't get angry uh but things have been changing very rapidly in the past couple of weeks. Uh, Maybe you can start with a summary of what's been happening, because I'm not sure that people, uh, everyone listening will know exactly what the situation was and how it's evolved. Uh, Certainly, it's been one of the main topics of discussions in the media in France. So I'm curious to hear your take on it.
2: Okay, so I think maybe I'll start off at the beginning in terms of when Zimbabwe uh, became independent in 1980. Um, you know, so it's effectively been the same cast of characters. So uh, the guy who's taken over, uh, President Nangagwa, um, he was in the first cabinet in 1980. Um, uh, you know, and 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 the general was a general <laughs> in 1980. So it's, it's actually been these guys. A lot of these guys were pretty young back then. Um, So I'm assuming if if, if the president now is 75, he must have been about 35 when he was a minister in 1980. So these are guys that have been together um, from the get-go since 37 years ago. Um, And it's not um, a change in any... uh, it's still the same party. Effectively, what's happened, uh, to summarize what's happened, uh, I've been calling it a magic trick because what's happened is that they've replaced Mugabe uh, uh, with uh, with a guy he just fired a week before. Um, but in effect, nothing else. The system still remains the same. What you'll find is if you looked at a video of 99% of the ZANU-PF politicians uh, last week that have been saying, yes, 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 uh, fire from Nangagwa, and make the first lady vice president now this week they're like uh, yes 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 fire the president and and, and the first lady and and make so effectively it's just they've just changed their positions um but what uh, before, i think
0: that before we get too far uh, forward into this i just want to call it out very quickly was zimbabwe a full-fledged dic- uh, dictatorship like how would you describe the situation for the past 30 years
2: okay i you know what, i the the best way is to i think we're very um not colonized is the wrong word but i think we're very british you know how the you know i would look it wasn't uh, you could do a lot you could talk freely in and um you know in public etcetera etcetera but uh, there, there are certain things if but if you're a politician or trying to become a politician you'd have you'd find it very very tough for you um so it wasn't um uh, so I, I never had i you know, 've never been arrested i 've never and i've i've said things that are critical to the government i i, I mean I, or maybe i i would be in a position where where you maybe you're related to i mean it's it 's impossible to not be related to somebody in government where you know so uh, effectively you may have it a bit easier but i, I for the way i see it um if you were not involved in politics it was not necessarily um, you would not really uh suffer from um from the political goings on, but the econ- economically, I think everyone suffered from from the, the the poor economy. But I think most people I know you could criticize the government, in, 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 but not if you didn't have a, a following. Uh, uh, most of the people would just ignore you. Cause right. you can't, so it's not you like can't... there was
0: a, a secret police coming and taking people in the night randomly because they said something to their, you know, uh, to the shop. Keeper next door uh, the day before, and that you would, they would never be heard of again. But economically, the country suffered tremendously from that uh, regime.
2: Yes, but I, but I, I I would want uh, to highlight one guy though, who I think uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention. Uh, his name was Atai Zamara. Um, all he did was he stood in the center of, of town and said "Mugabe must uh, go" for for a couple of years, and then he just disappeared. They just uh, so no one no one admits. Uh, but obviously the, the the allegation was that it was uh, that secret police type element. Um, and and so, if, so it's mostly op- activists and opposition politicians that were – but the rest of you, they'll just leave. Because if you think about it, everyone was not happy. Eh? So you'd have to pretty much arrest the whole country. Right. Um, and so a couple they're, 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 they're,
0: a couple of weeks ago, so it was a coup, right? It was. That's how we we heard about it.
1: It was basically no, military. no, 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 no. Don't. It was not. It's very. The language here is very important, Pat, Patrick. That it's not a coup because had it been a coup and labeled a coup, then a whole bunch of international sanctions would have come down on the new government. So they were very, very ca- cautious and careful to not call this a coup. Uh, so that's a, It's actually a very subtle but important distinction to make.
2: Yeah, it was a national democracy initiative. Effectively, what happens <laughs> is that the, the, the um, initiative taken okay, so, by the
0: army, though, right?
2: Y- yes, but but I'll uh, 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 just maybe. So uh, I was trying to take it from from the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. just so that you understood who the characters are. Um, so that in terms of the general, the the, the, the the former vice president, who is now the president, and the president, uh, who I think are the three key characters in this. Um, so what happens was. Lo- uh he, effectively the, the Mugabe never spoke against his vp uh while the general was still around so he sent him to china which i think uh, i said this a couple of weeks ago i said that, i think that was his uh, the biggest mistake he did cuz he sent him to china which i think in my view i think that they they prefer uh, mnangagwa to to mugabe uh, that that's my my belief just from from various information i've had and so you, you, it was a wrong time to fire him while he was there um so he came back, the general came back They tried to arrest him And obviously they were prepared And, and so they had the army guys around him And then the police dispersed And so the next day he, he he gave a warning To say, listen, this must stop right now uh, Or else And the, the the very next day after that The, the, the ZANU-PF uh, youth leader Came out and he said Listen, this general is talking treason what, 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 And then the next thing um, whether the tanks were coming in, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, <clears throat> so ostensibly, what they would, what they said they were doing was uh, separating the president from the criminals around him, which, which was um, uh, including uh, his wife. His wife was included in, in, in that bunch of people that they were criminals. So, this was like some senior ministers, et cetera, et cetera. And they were saying um, he was being influenced by these people. Uh, and and if you look at it, I mean, it, it does looked like they were influencing because I followed quite a few of them on, on on Twitter and they were celebrating when the vice president got fired so it it would seem like it was like uh, they had a it was their mission to do so, but I think the mistake that they they made was that they underestimated how unpopular the first lady was to the extent that I think no one wanted her to take over and that, i think
0: that 's what, what people thought was maybe not going to happen, but my understanding at least how it was reported here was uh the first lady. As you said, was very, very unpopular, but people, some people were hoping that she would be, uh, she's much younger than Mugabe, and she would be taking over after her husband would, you know, uh, abdicate, basically, and that might have been a uh, part of the issue. Yeah, but no, no, no one, no one. You know
2: what? I struggled. i and I, I've, I've spoken. I, I try I, for me, for example. I, I, in American politics, I don't really like the the, the Republican Party, but I'll follow uh, a lot of guys there just to get a, a, the other other side. And, and I, I've spoken to, to to people from all all different persuasions, and have yet I'm yet to find any one person who said they like the. You know, so it's, 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 she was extremely unpopular, you know, and so for her to, and, 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 and also what she'd done was, cause remember, this wasn't the first vice president that was fired on her say so effectively, cause she would embarrass people, you know, effectively she'd call like senior politicians at a rally and make the guy run 100 meters to shout at him in front of everyone and, and repetitively different guys. And so you can imagine that no one, uh, in, in, in our culture, I suspect that you respect your elders and these are people that, uh, are, are were older than her and more senior to her and she would humiliate them like that. So I think, uh, it, it tends to be, you know, worry people that, okay, is this the way the country is going to be run? Mm. Um, and I, so, you know.
0: So, okay, before we move on to, uh, the, the Chinese part of this equation, um, what's the situation like now? Mugabe has basically said he was going to leave after a little bit of back and forth. That was surprising to everyone. Um, so he's going to leave. And what's happening now? There's elections in about a year. And what's the mood like on the ground? Uh, what are people thinking? Are they hopeful? Are they like, what do you think about this situation today?
2: Okay, look, I, I think we have to separate two things. People are happy uh, that Mugabe is gone. Uh I think that is the first thing that I'd have to say that you can't, you can't, they can't separate whatever they think from that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've never seen Zimbabweans that happy uh, in my whole life. Uh, you know, I was too young when Zimbabwe became independent, I was like three years old, so I, I, I didn't really know. So I suspect that this is what they were like. This is like just people just way overjoyed, and, and, and everyone is happy, and you know, everyone's celebrating um so it's it's so so you you'd have to maybe wait for a bit to to discern what people really think about the future so here they was just they were just celebrating that the guy is gone him and his wife are gone i think um, in terms of what, what I think about just the the, the general view, I, I think had this not happened, I, I don't think Zanu would have won the elections because typically, after like they, when the economy is really bad, uh, like like in two thousand and eight, they likely they, they lost because of the economy. And and in twenty thirteen, I, I do think that they, they 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 won predominantly because the economy was very good because MDC had managed the economy well. Um, so it's you know so i think that um but I think now uh, i don't see uh how because the opposition is in disarray totally they can't agree on anything they you know so i, I don't see okay,
0: it that's like germany or actually yeah. it's the, the the majority uh that's in disarray, but sorry uh side note yes, keep going <laughs>
2: so 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 look, i think as it stands now and and you've got to remember something that that, that most people don't pick up on, i think the, the most popular guy right now in the country is the general. Um, and, I, you know, I've been around. I, I don't think if a soldier's wearing his uniform, he's not going to buy anything, uh, you know. Uh, you mean, he's <laughs> not going to
0: pay for every for anything?
2: Yeah, yeah. He's not going to pay for anything. You know, people are just they're that happy with. So so you can imagine uh, uh, what could happen, say, for example, if he runs as, as, as the vice president. Mm. Um, he, did, you see what I mean? So I think, so for me, my belief is that um, as it stands, uh, unless the opposition do what something change to the magnitude that Zanu PF has done, I don't see how how they're going to win the uh, the election. And remember that, that Zanu PF controls all the levers. In any case, so,
0: so the, the, the 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 so does that mean that things are going to keep going like well, maybe not the same way, but if if there isn't an opposition. It's just, uh, as you said, a magic trick to keep kind of the same people in place? Or do you think it's going to, to be a different system for the uh, country?
2: I think it's going to be a different system. I've dealt with the, the, the incoming president a couple of times. Um, I found him to be very pragmatic. Uh, very, um, he's, he's an execution guy in terms of like, uh, if things need to get done... Uh, they get done. he's very professional um so effectively, he's a lawyer okay uh the former president was a teacher by training um so you'll find Zimbabwe's education system went uh, went very very well so i I think people would will be surprised at how 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 much he's a stickler for for accountability, following the rules et cetera et cetera mm. Um, And and I think that he's got good relationships across the board. Um, That's just, look, I I don't know everyone, but across the board, uh, people, in fact, uh, most people were, were, so if it was Zanu PF, he's the guy they'd like to have have there Mm -hmm. um, compared to the other guys. So I think it's, it's one of those that I think people are, for me, I, I think he'll, he'll run the economy well. Um, he, he's not a utopian like the previous president. Uh, this one is a very pragmatic guy, and I think he'll do what needs to be done to fix it. And I think for, him, for himself, he'd like to also create a legacy for himself, I think.
0: Okay. Um, all right. So let's turn now to Eric with uh, the Chinese involvement in all of this. And I mean, I'll
1: let you talk about this. You, sure. you can do it better than I can. Well, this was this was significant, and it's hard to overstate China's importance in Zimbabwe. It dates back to the nineteen sixties when China and, and Mao Zedong supported the revolutionaries. Uh, a, a lot of the the current leadership, from President Menangwa and to even to General Chiwenga, all trained in China, so they have deep relationships that extend back decades. Can I, can, uh, yeah? can I
2: just button? They I've noticed that the international. Uh,
1: press and whatever struggles with the guy's name. It's Mnangagwa. So Mnangagwa. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, so they date back uh, a, a long time. And, and and so what made this the events of the past week so interesting? Of course, were the the visit to Beijing uh, one week before. And and one has to wonder what happened during that visit, and nobody really knows. And there's an enormous amount of speculation that's out there. A lot of it is false. That China was somehow involved. That China somehow orchestrated. That China somehow even may have given a blessing to this. We we don't actually know what the Chinese said. If this was discussed, or to what extent it was discussed, um, most analysts believe that Chuenga, when he went, the army commander. When he came to Beijing, he did probably notify them. There is some reports that uh, the military also notified the U.S. embassy as well. And uh, and and so but what's interesting is I don't think 10 years ago, Chiwenga would have gone to Beijing. They said that this was an already scheduled trip and it was just part of the normal state to state relations that China and Zimbabwe have. But 10, 15 years ago had a an, an overthrow of this nature been planned as it seems it was because this was a very organized operation uh they might have gone to london they might have gone to washington they maybe brussels they certainly wouldn't have gone to beijing so from my vantage point this was significant this was significant in a number of different ways even though zimbabwe strategically for the chinese is absolutely meaningless This is not a geopolitically important country for the Chinese. Sure, it's got diamonds. Sure, it's got tobacco. It has some resources and minerals, but nothing really that the Chinese can't find elsewhere. What was significant, though, from my point of view watching this, was, again, the idea that Chuenga went to Beijing. He still kept the schedule. He then most likely informed the Chinese of this. And the fact that the Chinese did not vocally oppose it, was also very significant because the Chinese government is not a government that endorses regime change. That's an American thing uh, for the most part, or it used to be. Um, and, and the lack of any American presence in this discussion is also absolutely fascinating that increasingly the Trump administration, which is a continuity of the Obama administration, are just disengaged from Africa and they're they're just not relevant. So a lot of things happened here. And the fact that the Chinese are going to be a key player in the economic development going forward, uh, most likely Britain as well, will be significant.
0: So how involved is China in all of this? I'll ask you, uh, Eric. I mean, in all of this, I really mean Zimbabwe, but Africa in general and Maybe you can give us a couple of examples because we sort of hear tangentially that they're uh, involved, but we don't know to what extent. And then I'll, I'll yeah. go back for a conclusion with uh, Tafatwa <laughs> to ask if you feel that uh, that involvement in day-to-day, you know, uh, life. But
1: first, yeah, Eric. okay. So China is not involved in Africa. China is is the most important player in Africa today for for the continent. There's two hundred and twenty billion dollars of bilateral trade. Uh, particularly for Zimbabwe, 74% of all FDI into Zimbabwe comes from the Chinese. China is the top export market. $4 billion of aid investment coming in in 2016. I mean, China is even going to be building the new parliament building in Harare. So the idea that is China involved in Africa, there is, it's, we're, we're long, long past that. The question is now is that is China's engagement in Africa, uh, is it constructive Some people say yes, some people say no. You can see exactly what you want in the China relationship. You can sit here, and we've talked about this in the past, where you can sit here and say it's the worst thing that's ever happened to Africa, and in many ways you'd be right. And at the same time, you can say it is by far the best thing that's ever happened to Africa, and you would absolutely be right as well. This is a very, very complicated relationship that exists on many, many different levels. But the fact is, though, is that the the Chinese are more focused. In fact, just today— uh, the Djibouti president is in Beijing meeting with Xi Jinping. And one right. of the things that you'll see is that even tiny little countries like Djibouti, although they're geopolitically very important, they get face-to-face time with the Chinese president. When, you know, dozens of African leaders go went to Washington two years ago, they sat in a group with Obama. Right. And it shows you the difference and the attention that the Chinese are paying in Africa compared to, say, other countries as well. But for the most part, Europe's influence on the continent is declining rapidly. The United States is just missing in action. The United States still doesn't have an Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, so we have nobody in the State Department who's overseeing Africa strategy. Uh, and this is really, this is China's moment in many ways in, in, in a place like Africa.
0: So, Tafatsula, do you do you feel that influence uh, every day, or is it more of a...
2: No, I mean- no, nah, he, he's he's absolutely spot on. Um, and I, I travel a, a lot through through Africa, and I see it everywhere. It's not just Zimbabwe; it's everywhere. Um, Kenya, Uganda, Ghana—anywhere you go, you see the influence. It's not—it's not very clear. Um, yeah, what form does it visit? take?
0: I guess practically. Um,
2: no, no. You, okay, I'll I'll give you examples. Okay, if there's a project, okay. So, the, for example, they're doing a hydroelectric, um hydroelectric uh, extension uh, for the for Cariba which is like a, a, a power generation uh, for hydroelectric and they, so what they do is they always bring so if they're not just going to lend you money um, you have to buy from them uh, and then their guys have to do the installation and they leave you so guys and the guys I've spoken to they, they they leave you with no no hire so you you, you still need them back to to, to actually
0: to maintain the estu- manage- the installations and
2: so so it's not it's a and you know what we'll start with, because before it's, it's, Zimbabwe is not a, a huge country that you know uh, uh, these things are, are not uh, they're not easily perceptible, but you start to see a lot of Chinese people. There's the, the Chinatown. There's like. A mall that they've just done uh, that's Chinese and, 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 you know, a Chinese-speaking, and and that's where they mostly go to. You'll see restaurants that that were never there before. I mean, there were Chinese guys before, but it wasn't that many of them. But now you can see that there's a lot of them now um so look for me it's, it's it's something that you're uncomfortable with because i don't really know their culture well enough uh, um, i sort of read read about it and you know but you, you whereas if, if it's like a british guy i mean i effectively I wrote British exams in school. I my my teachers were from the UK, so I, it's something that I'm a lot more comfortable with. And and, and so what what happens is, you have to to, to, to try and understand if if your wariness of them is not because it's it's, it's culturally foreign to you, uh, as opposed to it being better or worse. Um, but I think in a lot of respects uh, our cultures are are, are similar. E- even because I was thinking about it to say. What's likely to happen in Zimbabwe now is that it's, it's going to be uh, economically much better, but then politically uh, probably more along. So if if the opposition wins, it's probably an American-UK type of democracy. If PF if stays in charge, it, it's more a Chinese type of democracy. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, uh, it's one of those you, you'd have to ask yourself honestly if, if you're not just scared of them because you don't understand them. But what I know for sure is that I've, I've got a brother right now Previously, he would have gone to a British or American university, but he's in China. Uh, right. so, so people started to realize that, listen, you're, you're better off um, uh, learning in China, learning Chinese, because I think that's where the money is going to. And I suspect that, look, America is going to get overtaken at some point in maybe 2030 economically. Yes, it, it, it won't be as, as nice as America, but <laughs> once, once it's bigger economically, I think uh, that's where we're going to have to start looking towards.
0: Okay. Yeah, what really struck me was what you said in the beginning, which is they lend you the money, but they build the infra, instru- the infrastructure, and they bring the know-how and don't transfer it which, to the local population. Yeah, but
1: that's that's actually not entirely true, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, a lot of those We're are anecdotal. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, in in the sense of of. People misunderstanding the Chinese infrastructure deals. Um, right. So a lot of people. First of all, there is this misperception that they bring over their own labor, which is actually not true. That's just a. It's a deeply, deeply embedded myth that. And researchers from top universities, from McKinsey, Hello. up and have moved up and down the continent, and they they found no evidence of that. Eighty to ninety percent of all the, the 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 staff on Chinese construction projects are local hires engineering senior talent project managers are brought in for 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 those types of projects so the they're building five aviation universities they're training hundreds of uh rail workers in kenya and ethiopia to go to to, to china so it, there's not a uniformity and consistency in in how they do it but they're certainly not it's not accurate to say that they they don't uh train people behind that's uh that, that hasn't been the case
2: Okay, uh, maybe if I can just jump in there. The point I was trying to make was that I, I'm not. It, it, we could say it is anecdotal because I'm I'm taking specific examples uh, where I know people that are involved or uh, who are managing the project. But effectively, I think part of the problem is that the, 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 there's likely to be a, a language barrier, so there'll there'll be two sets of uh, people uh in, in all these because uh, just communication may be a problem so i think it starts to be a a little bit clicky and i think that's uh, where i was going with it
1: sure yeah no that's definitely true communication is is difficult There's there's no doubt but you're seeing the chinese transform uh africa in terms of infrastructure they they have a, a kind of a, a gsd it can't swear in the show it's a family show right patrick um, so it's a get stuff done okay uh, a get stuff done type <laughs> of attitude uh, so there, whereas you, you, the United States and Europeans will have 55,000 pages of regulations to implement any type of, of development initiative, mm. there is, you, you'll see railroads are being built, ports are being built, telecom networks are being built up and down the continent. Mm. And, and that's interesting. But here's the interesting point here right now, and this is the key thing, is so many people are worried about China's growing presence and influence in Africa when the real worry – is that China loses interest in Africa. And there is a lot of evidence now that indicates that the Chinese are actually losing interest in Africa. There's now the number of Chinese who are living on the continent is is declining. People are going back to China into to other markets. Um, the amount of trade has gone down precipitously in the past two or three years. The amount of investment is going down. And that's in part because 10, 15 years ago when China first came to Africa, they didn't have as many options on where they could invest around the world. Uh, they couldn't. They didn't. They couldn't get into the U.S. market. Europe was much more difficult. Uh, they didn't have initiatives like the One Belt One Road. So the bigger problem facing Africa today is actually not that the Chinese are going to become too important or too big or, or invest too much money. Uh, the bigger concern is they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're they're going to start diversifying their investments. They do more trade now with Latin America than they do with Africa. So is and that so? Something- a lot of times. Uh, yeah, keep, I no, w- yeah, ahead. I was
0: going to go to ta- to Tafetra to ask if you know that perspective all of a sudden becomes uh, something that you can see happening in the future. China divesting their interests in Africa and going elsewhere, mm-hmm. isn't that more uh, uh, worrisome all of a sudden?
2: Um, you know what? <laughs> it depends on which way you look at it. Um, yeah. I, I get I get the, the, the fact that capital goes where, where it gets the best return and best security. Um, so <laughs> they're getting – Latin America is quite developed in terms of the, the, the markets, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it would make sense. But I, I suspect that, look, long term, um, Africa has more upside. I think No but I mean, my, my was- question
0: is more like from the ground you as an as a Zimbabwean citizen and a, a, you know African citizen if you look at the influence of China maybe some people look at it and think you know there's some kind of some form of colonialism or some kind of interest uh, uh, seeking from China but if we flip it as Eric was saying and we think well let's imagine that tomorrow I'm just going to go to extreme just for the sake of argument Let's say tomorrow China says, all right, we're done here, we are not interested anymore, and everyone packs up and leaves. And, you know, the Chinese uh, uh, citizens go and and investment infrastructure, everything, they leave. Is that a, a worrisome prospect?
2: Yeah, it would be. I mean, obviously, uh, right. if you lose investment, you're going, you're taking steps backwards. Eh? So, I, I, if, unless you can replace it uh, with, right. you know, but I'm assuming Which, that uh, they, you can't. I'm assuming that yeah. they, they're scaling back. They can't. They can't take back what they have already invested. Of I'm course, assuming. of course. Uh, yeah, scaling back, not investing anymore. But I, look, for me. I would say that that's probably also uh, an indictment on 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 African leadership because um, if you have so much upside, you should be able to to demonstrate that it's safe uh, for people investing and 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 they can they can have so much growth because the growth potential is because because of the lack of development means that you know you are going to grow uh, much faster. Of course. So if if you can't market that, I think uh, it's, it's not really. I wouldn't blame the Chinese for that. They've got to take their money where it serves them best. But I'll then ask myself, why is it that they're pulling their their money and, and putting it more developed markets? Why 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 can't you provide the same security that the developed markets do?
0: All right. Um, let's spend a little bit of time on China specifically, because there are a couple of topics you wanted to talk about, Eric. Um, And I mean, there's Tencent uh, breaking the $500 billion value, uh, uh, stock market value, on one hand, and I mean, what's happening there in China?
1: Yeah, this is all part of the of the, of the past few weeks. A, a few a few things have happened, and when you ask me kind of what what we should talk about on the show, and Zimbabwe is very much a part of this. Just as I said, I think it's significant that Chiwanga went to to Beijing, and that was a moment. Uh, we've also had a couple other key moments uh, over the past month here which are uh, you know very very important and, and things that in europe and the united states they just don't pay attention they just don't get it so the 18th party congress came uh, and went and that is basically the most important political event in china where xi jinping consolidated his power and he's now the strongest chinese leader really since the mao era and and, and that's incredible uh, because he's now atop the second largest economy in the world the second largest navy in the world Uh, One of the largest militaries and and this to have one person with that much power is really fascinating right now, particularly as the United States is such a divided country and such a dysfunctional government in many ways. So then we had the Trump visit and, and really the sense of the Trump visit was that China's arrived. China kind of sat toe to toe with Trump for the first time in a Sino U.S. summit and felt as an equal. And the Americans didn't come here and lecture the Chinese. They didn't come and make human rights demands. They didn't, they didn't exact any concessions out of the Chinese. Nothing. He gave nothing up. So Xi Jinping really owned the visit in so many ways. And then on top of that, we had the first uh, Chinese company to make the half a trillion dollar valuation club, which is significant. And so you, you kind of stack all of these events in just one month back to back to back and you get this sense that there's ch- something is going on. This is th- this is a very, very important moment in history right now that we're seeing unfold in front of us. And I think the Chinese were very, very surprised to see it the decline of the United States as fast as it's happening right now. And they were expecting the United States' power to diminish over decades. And here we're seeing it diminish right in front of our eyes. And they're grabbing the opportunity with both hands. It's, um, it's so very to... remarkable to see.
3: I, I have Wait. to. Oh, go ahead, Matthias. Quick question, because you mentioned uh, the Xi Jinping-Trump discussion. So is it more an issue of Xi Jinping being so strong
1: or Trump being so weak, in your opinion? It's a little bit of both. They know that, I mean, they're very, very tuned in with U.S. politics. They know that Trump is under investigation. They know that he's got a divided Congress. They know that he's only governing to about 36% of the country. They are very, very tuned into who his constituencies are. So a lot of the deals are done to support his constituencies. They're they're really flattering him in many ways. Uh, and at the same time, Xi Jinping is the opposite. He's sitting on top of a united government. He has all of the power. He controls the military, the Central Military Commission. He's, of course, in charge of the Communist Party and he's in charge of the government. Uh, So they're in very different situations right now. And it is it is absolutely fascinating. Also, there's this idea now that the Chinese are trying to capture the industries of the future. So they are making a move for the auto business to set the standards for the global auto business. So, this, of sorry, course, is the largest auto Eric, market. I'm,
0: I'm going to interrupt just for a second because before we move on too far from this, because I want to ask a question in no partisan terms. This is really pure curiosity, and I hope the audience understands it as such. Uh, kind of a variant on Matthias's question. Is the U.S. considered weak now specifically because of Trump, or was it also declining under previous presidencies, including Obama's and others,
1: or is it something that no, happened with Trump's? It's not with Trump. They they don't see a sharp decline with Trump. Okay. They've seen that the United States, and I think this is the thinking inside a lot of the think tanks and the the senior l- leadership. And and again, who do I what do I know? I'm just speculating here based on just we reading a lot of things here. <laughs> That's right. So I'll I'll put that disclaimer out there that nobody really knows, but. There has been this sense among the senior leadership and this sense among the, the, the intelligentsia that the United States has been in a period of decline, and and this is something that started for a long time, you know, decades, and they, they tap into a lot of the same frustrations. They understand the frustrations that a lot of Trump supporters have. They see that wages have not increased in the West. They see that you know, that China has been growing very, very fast. Uh, So they look at the fact that they are regaining what they think as their rightful place atop the world economic order. Uh, Bear in mind, and this is something that's very deep in the Chinese psyche, for 2,500 years, maybe 3,000 years, China was the world's most powerful country. Only with the rise of Europe in 1500 to the present day has China stumbled. And and this is very important to understand Xi Jinping and how he sees the world. He sees the world as China regaining its proper rightful place atop the world economic order and the world, and not just economics, but politics and power as well. And and that's the way they're seeing things. And they look at politics in zero-sum games. If there is one that's winning, the other one's losing. And that's a very different way that we look at politics in the United States. So, yes, this is a they've seen this period of steady decline of of American relative power, maybe not in absolute terms. But if you look at what's happened over the past five years now with the South China Sea, where the United States throws this bluster, they put a ship through every once in a while, but they're not going to go to war over some rocks in the South China Sea. They know that. Of course, we know that, too. No American president will will ever go to war with China over the South China Sea. So they don't. They see a paper tiger in many respects, Mm. and and I think there's there's some legitimacy to that.
0: The regaining power rightful place. It's interesting because it's my impression. I'm not very attuned with Russia, um, but. You know, by proxy through my proximity physically, uh, geographically, um, in Finland, I have a little bit more of a, a connection with it now. And it's, it echoes a lot of that. Not in exactly the same ways. And we really should do a special on Russia one day. But,
1: um, yeah, it's, it, it echoes does, a lot but of Putin. It's it, a very different. It, it thing. does. It's very different because Putin, at the end of the day, is a petrodictator sitting on top of basically a commodity based economy. No, I agree. China but the is sentiment is highly highly diverse. De- the sentiment, the but sentiment, at the end of the you know, day, there is feeling. Yeah. There is a feeling, but Russia will never, ever be close to the power that China is or the sure. United States. So it will were have talking- tremendous regional influence, but it will never necessarily be the global power it once was. And And I
0: think the okay. sentiment in Russia is you know, focused on that regional influence and the outrage that, that, you know, other forces have eroded that regional influence, which is their rightful role, you know, it's, it's very strange when I talk to people who are familiar with Russia or who are Russian, there's a sentiment that, what are you even asking, like, why are we doing this in, in this or that country that is close to us? Of course, it's our zone of influence. Like, that's obvious. But anyway, y- you were going towards something that was really interesting, which is the investment in the future in China, which is also very active.
2: I, oh, I just, go ahead, of course. To go ahead, Tavatsu. Uh, okay, Eric, for, for me, I've got a comment and a question. Okay, On Russia, I just get the impression that this is somebody who's been left behind, who's trying to assert... To, to put themselves to the level of, of the U.S. and China when they're not, um, on 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 America, I got the impression that Obama was trying to prevent China because I mean it was just a matter of time, because when the economy turns over and and, and and China becomes has a bigger economy, the the way they treat it changes. So so for me, I, I got Obama was trying to negate that or slow that down. Uh, do you do you think that winding that All those attempts back uh, didn't speed it up. That's right, it did.
1: uh, So Obama played, he didn't handle China very well in many respects. So he was very concessionary to the Chinese. And at the same time, he was also launching programs like TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which did not include China, which was meant to be a balance or some in the Chinese side would look at as containment. The West looked at it, and certainly the United States looked at it as a counterbalance to China. He had the pivot to Asia, which was his rebalancing of the U.S. military priorities. Again, uh, you're coming out to Asia in part because of China and North Korea. Uh, He did not support the Chinese, and he really pressured American partners from joining the Asian Infrastructure Bank which is the Chinese equivalent to the World Bank in many respects so he was very very aggressive in pushing uh, against the chinese and trying to to kind of slow down the chinese ascent if if anything and and it, in, in the end he wasn't successful at all i mean we can see now the asian infrastructure investment bank has most of America's partners, including the British, the Japanese, a number of different countries that were aligned with the United, that are aligned with the United States, are partners with it. TPP now is in ruins, and the pivot to Asia was really just nothing. So, so the Chinese have a certain amount of confidence now, seeing how those policies failed. And and again, I think it just goes to show the dysfunction that is U.S. the current state of U.S. politics with no real clear vision for Asia, which is the most important part of the world right now. This is where the largest economies in the world are. 60% of humanity lives here. This is where the engine of global economic growth is. And the United States doesn't have a coherent Asia policy, which is just remarkable. Hmm.
0: Um, All right, before we go, uh, we come back to Europe. I say come back because that's where I am. Um, But uh, before we get back to that, I really want to hear about a couple of things from China uh, to to close this off. First, the investments in the future economies. And second, I want to ask you about all of these things you've been discussing. And are they the feelings of the everyday down-in-the-street Chinese person, if if you know how they feel, uh, or if that's more of a higher-level geopolitical, uh, you know, uh, discussions that they don't really care about.
1: Um, you can't generalize for a country of 1.4 billion of people. Of course you so can, there, Eric. Of course you can. There, that's what we do. There, there's <laughs> just no way to do it. And, and China is a, right. is, is really is a... It's a bunch of countries wrapped up in one. So it's really impossible to to kind of say what the mood of the people are. But there is something very interesting here. Uh, China just passed the United States in uh, supercomputer speed. China is developing uh, Mars and Moon missions right now. China has some of the fastest growing uh, tech startup ecosystems in in the world. China is one sector after another. You're seeing China investing in new and innovative. And it's really just, again, it's exciting. I come from Silicon Valley. I come from the San Francisco Bay Area. So I've, I'm familiar with this. And I see what I see back in the U.S., is is just none of this energy that's there. Again, our president is talking about preserving coal. And I mean, coal, <laughs> think about that. And, and this is a country here that is exporting solar panels to, to Africa and to other parts of the world and is developing solar cities. And, you know, I don't wanna, listen, I'm not, this isn't a fairyland here. This This is a country that has enormous problems. They've got, it's extraordinarily complex, but on one level, there's a certain level of optimism that's here. And recognizing that the future is in electric vehicles, the future is in solar, the future is in supercomputers, in big data, in all of these different things. And they're doing it on a scale that nobody comes close to. Nobody comes close to.
0: Mm. All right. Um, well, that's that's an it- interesting uh, uh, summary of all of this. And I certainly wasn't aware of uh, as much of it as I should have been. Um, but... In conclusion, let's move back, as I mentioned, to Germany and uh, give Matthias a little bit more time to speak. Before we
3: move over, may I ask Eric one more thing? Oh, sure, of course, please do. Sure, because uh, you said that uh, China is losing interest in Africa. And uh, what do they turn the interest to then? What's the new hot thing for China?
1: The new hot thing is one belt, one road. This is a $1 trillion global trading agenda that... Uh, basically, is think of uh, if you think of the map of the world there 's a line that goes from from China down through the South China Sea around the the tip of India and South Asia, across the Indian Ocean, up through the Suez Canal, through Central Europe, Russia, back to China. That is their global trading route, the new Silk Road, and they're putting they 've already spent about two hundred and fifty billion dollars. Nobody right now in the world is spending that kind of cash. They're spending more money than the United States ever even came close to spending in the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe after World War II. So this is what's so interesting is so they're where they're spending the trade money. Routes
0: is what you're. They're
1: building the trade routes. They're building massive amounts of infrastructure along this trade route. So this, what we're seeing in in Kenya and Ethiopia, is new rail lines, new ports in the port of Mombasa, uh, big investment in the Suez Canal, rail lines through Central Asia. Airports, data networks, huge fiber optic networks that are being that China Telecom is stringing around the world right now to, to facilitate this. So that's where the money is going. And the Chinese are turning down their investment in European and American debt because they don't feel they're getting the return on that investment. They're overexposed in American debt. So this is potentially very, very dangerous for American mortgage uh, consumers because we're going to pay higher mortgages if the Chinese don't buy our debt. And, and so that just forces the Americans to put up their interest rates, Europeans as well, because they're investing in infrastructure in places like Africa, South America, and in South Asia, where they think they'll get a better return on their investment.
0: And I notice uh, one thing, and I also have a question. The One thing is, of course, the new Silk Road doesn't include uh, the U.S., but I'm guessing that's because the, the trading with the U.S. is already established and kind of easy to maintain, um and and my question would be again going back to the actual people in the street um do they have a perception of that uh, one belt one road initiative like is it used as a
1: uh uh I want to say propaganda, but maybe not propaganda. Oh yeah, it's not a. Oh no, a it right is propaganda. Word. Okay, absolutely. Right. This is the country. In this country, propaganda is not a bad word. Actually, uh, mm. that's that's one of the funny things here. So, uh, but it is absolutely. It's called ilu Dai, which is one belt, one road, and you see it everywhere. So it is very much. This is the vision of the future. It's a global trading uh, initiative, and uh, yeah, no, it's a big. And the guy on the street, you know what? He doesn't really care. Just as like the guy on the street in Germany doesn't care and the guy on the street in New York doesn't care. Well, no, uh, but I is, mean, there are, for example, in
0: Germany, I'm sure many people on the street are concerned about the government not being able to to form. So I'm wondering if in China – They it's care like, about oh, yeah, that. We,
1: hmm. Well, they don't, they don't care. They have a very different relationship with politics here than they do in Germany, in part because this is not a democracy. Right. So the guy on the street has no say in what, what ultimately happens in Beijing. That said, if you look at public opinion of Xi Jinping, it actually runs pretty high. Uh, hostility towards, there's a lot of hostility towards local governments, but people look to the central government as being a source of stability. So it's kind of the opposite as in the United States where we look at our local government. And say, oh, they're great, but that Washington, those are bums. Mm. So it's, it's really the inverse in many respects. So for the most part, public opinion towards the central government uh, tends to be rather consistent I and mean, not too bad, in part because the central government invests huge amounts of money in propaganda and controls the media quite tightly. But mm. that's, that's nothing new here in China.
0: All right. Uh, I think, well, obviously, we could talk about all of this forever, as I often say, uh, but we are going to move on. Matthias, what the hell is happening in your country and why are you guys (laughs) breaking
3: Europe? I have no idea why this is all happening. Well, well actually it's all our fault. So, it's basically also my fault because we voted the way we did. But uh, just a small preface before I start this whole thing, the whole issue is very complicated and it has a lot of different layers, but uh, since explaining this would take way too long, I'm just going to break it down and simplifying a bit, but if you have any questions or didn't don't understand anything, just jump in and ask to clarify. Also, if we have listeners from Germany or people familiar with the matter, they might notice that I'm skipping some stuff for the sake of brevity and I'm not going to bore you with the intricacies of German politics. So please excuse if I'm skipping stuff. So, uh, yeah, well, as I mentioned last time I was on the show, the election in September left us with a bit of a, well, a mess, basically, when it comes to forming a new government, because the parties that are sitting now in government are A, There are more parties than ever, and the distribution of the seats within parliament only left us with two possible coalition options that could actually get a majority. So one of these options was the so-called Jamaica coalition, which is nicknamed, as you might remember, after the colors associated with the different parties. And these four parties are the CDU, the party of Angela Merkel, the CSU, the sister party of the CDU, the Free Liberals and the Green Party. So... Shortly after the election, these four parties started talks to see if they could find some common ground. And as everyone expected, this turned out to be very difficult since the parties have vast differences in their respective important policy fields. So, for example, when it comes to environment, the energy sector or well, even the refugee crisis or especially the refugee crisis aspect. So for weeks, they had these talks, and instead of concrete results, all the public got were daily press brie- <clears throat> press briefings, where they basically said nothing new, and they just said, well, we need to negotiate further. Oh, and of course, there was a lot of bickering, mostly on the part of the CSU, the smallest party in these negotiations. Uh, they are in deep trouble right now and try to overplay their weakness with screaming a lot, but everybody is used to them screaming, so there's nothing <laughs> Unusual there. Anyway, all of this bickering combined with the lack of concrete results led to a kind of a sense of frustration in the eye of the public and the media. And to combat this frustration, Angela Merkel set a deadline which ended last week uh, for these negotiations. They didn't meet this deadline, but it seems as if they were actually making progress and were on their way to getting an agreement. But suddenly, out of the blue, the liberals broke off the negotiations, saying they will not be part of this coalition. Freaking liberals. Always ruining it for everyone. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well... It was a surprise for everyone, and especially for those other negotiating parties, because they were all under the impression that it was actually going rather well and that mm. they were just about to cross the finish line. And if anything, if a party would break this up, it would be the CSUs, and they are the one who are always bickering with the other parties. So after weeks of negotiations, we basically have no new government, and uh, the only option that it's seemingly the best one is out of the window. <laughs> And so, what I'm hearing is uh, there are two things I'm hearing. One,
0: what to do now is whatever happens, Merkel is going to be very weakened, uh, and they need a. They might do a, uh, a new election, which is very frightening because it might mean that the far right gets more power, um, and the the but the the president basically called people in their in his office to to you know yell at them a little bit and get tell them to get in line so there is some kind of hope that actually the coalition might happen after all but regardless or maybe especially if it doesn't happen europe the union is weakened not in in deep trouble but it is weakened because the as i was mentioning the uh Big pillars were France and Germany, and even though Macron is pro-Europe and France, now Merkel is weakened in her uh, pro-Europe stance, and especially with the refugee crisis, it's one of the thorns
3: in her side when she was, well, anyway, so... By the way, it's not just bad for Macron and Merkel. It's also bad for Theresa May because uh, she can't really negotiate with anyone right now Mm. and time for the Brexit is running out. So if anything, it's a matter of bad timing for her. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the much needed reforms and initiatives to change or reform the EU are now stalled. But basically, we have three different solutions for this mess right now. So the first one, would be that uh, the parties could form a minority government, which is tolerated by the other parties in the Bundestag. So the Bundespräsident can nominate a person as the next chancellor. And if this person is not confirmed after two election attempts, the candidate can be elected by a simple majority. So if someone is just voting in abstention, they can still make basically make him or her chancellor without actually voting for him. This would be something we see in the in the Scandinavian countries, for example, a lot. But uh, this has never happened in Germany. And apart from the fact that we don't have the necessary political culture to make this happen, these types of governments are pretty unstable and could be easily overturned. So nothing uh, German voters would prefer. And on top of all of that, Merkel isn't someone who wants to govern with uncertain majorities and constant promises. She isn't a good communicator. She doesn't like to face parliament. She doesn't defend her policies very well. If anything, she mostly deflects, hence her nickname Teflon
1: Merkel. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, That's pretty good. It's, yeah. it's interesting because in all of your discussion, you haven't mentioned the word migrants. And yet, in the, what we're reading in a lot of the mainstream international press is that it was the migrant issue that gave well, rise we to a lot about of the, the opposition, opposition parties. Yeah. Immigration. Well, the migrants. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in Germany, which was is obviously a key issue and yeah. gave rise to the far right, AFD and whatnot. So I'm, I'm just curious, are, is the international media not getting the story right, according to your point of view, or are migrants really at at the core of the issue for the for the opposition?
3: Well, it depends on, on uh, it, it is. Correct that the uh, refugee crisis, as it is called, often called, is uh, one of the issues that led to this whole mess because it, the election turned out the way it uh, at- did at a certain part because of this crisis. But for now, it's not really an issue because it has died down somewhat. There are not that many refugees coming into the country, and those who are here are getting processed, so they either get their um, application processed so they can stay, or they're being sent back. So it has died down a little bit. The issue is still one of the key points um, in the discussion between the parties for a coalition negotiation, but... In the end, right now, it's not the hot topic, so to say, Mm. anymore. Um, So I want to ask, actually, uh, both
0: of you, Tafatsua and Eric, uh, if this is playing... As always, you know, I ask if if this is a matter that is being discussed in your countries. Um, In France, definitely very much discussed, very much a concern, so I won't get more into it. I'm guessing in Zimbabwe, you had other matters to worry about, and it's kind of far away anyway. And I'm curious about China mm. as well. But Tafatsuo, mm. is it okay. something people discuss? Look,
2: I, I, I predominantly watch news. I mean, that's the, the, the only TV that I watch. So whether it's CNN, BBC, Sky, Al Jazeera, whatever. So it's something that you discuss amongst friends, but obviously it wasn't uh, at the top of our heads Uh, in terms of uh, you know but maybe two weeks ago we would have discussed it more Mm. but uh, right now obviously we had more pressing matters
0: right but it would be something that you discuss even though it's so far away it is you know it makes the news i guess
2: yeah i I, look i I think the world is global now i mean there's nothing that you could discuss and uh, and and everyone hasn't really discussed it because you I may not know the intricacies, but I'll know in general what's happening, what's, you know, uh but I suspect that that's where the difference comes on, how much or how deep is your knowledge as opposed to, you know, if it's not in your country, you'll know it less than if, or if it's not in your region, Um but you'll still know about it. Right. So, for example, I'll know that, um, what's his name? Uh, Kushner, uh, he, you know, he, he's having some some issues with, with Mueller, or whatever. Because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's on the news, you know. So I, mm. I think you discuss it if there's no, no pressing national issues then. Because I think right now people have just been one Zimbabwe. Just, it's a party. It's been a party this week. <laughs> I think you put it that way. A huge party. Yeah. Um,
1: Eric? What about China? Like, is it- no, <laughs> yeah. no, not at all. I, I mean, uh, China and the U.S. are very similar in the sense that these are there's such huge domestic markets and the, there's so much going on domestically that they really don't pay much attention to international news for the most part. Of course, right. a certain degree of elites have it. Um, I read the, the Chinese newspapers every day. There's some passing mention back on page C five of of a newspaper, or some, you know, way down on something. But it's not a priority at all. I mean, they, for the most part, the the average guy in the street doesn't really pay attention to that.
0: Um. So I guess that leads me to another question. Oh, Matthias, you wanted to? Yeah, I just
3: wanted to finish because. Uh, oh, of course, I, of course, sorry. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the minority government is only one of the solutions that ah, we could now. Head. Yeah yeah okay so the, because uh, the one that is the most likely is uh, what we call the grand coalition so it's the conservative parties the CDU the CSU and the social democrats so basically the same thing we had the last 4 years but uh, the social democrats are bit in a dilemma right now because right after the elections they st- publicly and very openly stated that they will not continue to be in a coalition with the conservatives at all and will instead move over into the opposition because they lost so many votes. So um, their party leader, Martin Schulz, has always been an opponent of this. So everyone is trying to persuade him, and especially the Bundespräsident, Frank-Walter Steinmeier is trying to persuade him to now start talking about him. And it seems as if he is at least willing to talk about such an option. But maybe he will be forced to resign just to clear path for this coalition options. But nevertheless... How likely uh,
0: is this to happen?
3: What do you mean? The, uh, he, for him either forcing or, him or him resigning? Uh, let's say the uh, there are talks about him resigning and who might be the next leader, but he is trying to put this all on the party members and saying, well, if we will consider such an option, we'll ask all the members of the party and they'll vote on it. Mm -hmm. And so maybe he can just survive by saying, well, if the members of the party say we have to do this, then I'll do it regardless. And that's what we're hearing, which
0: is, it seems the members of the party might be uh, switching their thinking and going to yes, maybe we should form. Uh,
3: uh, yeah, well, an they're a, they're a split on this issue. But uh, in any case, the party isn't great shape in general. Besides, the idea of a grand coalition is something that is very unpopular for most voters. So if the SPD is really caving in they will probably take an even harder hit in the next election. And the current election already yielded them the worst result in party history. So even if they're trying to frame the decision as taking responsibility for the country because there was no other option and so on, I doubt the voter will really see it like that. And uh, they'll probably lose a lot of more votes. Nevertheless, it currently seems like this outcome is the most likely and Actually, the SPD is not in a bad negotiating position, even though they have less seats than the last time. They are the only option the conservatives right. have. So maybe they can make bigger demands. And the last option, just enclosure, is that we get new elections. But um, that doesn't mean that this is really a solution, because right now the polls show that the new election would yield basically similar results as we have it right now. So nothing would be gained by voting again. Also, the Mm -hmm. prospect of seeking new elections has a bad reputation because distrust image of the politicians that would let the citizen vote until they get the result they want and so on. So it's nothing anyone really wants. And with the already stressed mood within the country and the general disenchantment with politics, this would be, so to speak, another nail in the coffin. Besides, as you already mentioned, no one wants to give the far right uh, an opportunity to improve their results if they don't have to. Right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that idea that you get into like something I hadn't considered. If you do another election, it's not just that you do another election for the sake of getting a government formed. It's also the image that, well, we didn't like the result of this election. We couldn't get together and be adults. And work with each other, so we're going to do another election until we get a result we like. I, that, that's something I hadn't considered, but I would definitely feel um, if a government had to redo elections, it's
3: kind of just be do your job. Yeah, basically, that's what the Bundespräsident is now saying. Mm -hmm. Frank-Walter Steinmeier made a public appeal to all parties that they should do their best to reach an agreement and that the results of the elections are the representation of what the voter wants. So therefore, they should accept it as such and avoid forcing new elections. Also, Mm -hmm. he was part of the last grand coalition as a minister, foreign minister. So, For him, it's not such a big deal. But then again, he is not really a passionate politician, but more bureaucrat. So he's more pragmatic, so to speak. He doesn't have real, I don't know, passion for the whole thing. So for Mm. him, he's just saying, well, it's the only thing. So let's do it. Right. He's so he's wagging his finger or he's. Well, he can't do anything really because he has no power to force them. But he 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 has the moral institution that says, well, now you all get together and talk about this and we'll make this work somehow. So right. summoned, it's, it's the teacher it's the teacher saying,
1: you know, basically.
3: Yeah. Basically, yeah. And and he summoned the party leaders of the conservative parties and the SPD for next week to for some talks to maybe talk to them and convince them or lay the groundwork for a grand coalition, as it were. But nothing is decided. And again, he can't force them if he um puts up someone for election in parliament as the new chancellor. And he, uh, he or she doesn't get enough votes after three attempts. He can just, or he just dissolves the parliament and we get new elections. You know what I really hate
0: about all of this and about all of these things happening in the different countries? I think there's a lot of people looking at this, people who are already, you know, in the camp of, well, governments are crap and politicians don't know what they're doing. I think those people look at this and think, see, I told you, the government isn't good for anything. And that really depresses me because it is so not the case. Being in government is not easy. Doing the government's work is not easy. And this is basically trying to talk your way out of situations or to resolve by talking and by finding compromises, situations that would lead to you know either social conflicts or civil wars. And of course you're gonna have some moments where it's where where it's it looks silly and you want to tell the, the the government, you know, the public servants to shake them and say, Stop being a child and find a solution. But it's. It feels very, uh, well, actually childish to have the reaction, ha, governments suck. It's like they do, the government has an impossible task in front of it. And I'm not saying they no, all do no, the best way. No, no, no. Okay, that, go they, ahead.
1: That is, come on, that they have an impossible task. Governments if you are if you are 30 to 40 percent of the french population the american population the british who voted for brexit you've been steamrolled and government has done nothing for you these are you've seen your wages for 40 years flat not growing you've seen schools get worse you've seen immigration challenge uh you know the, the available resources in your community how, now, i'm not defending are, that but at how the same schools time
0: get, no no no, no. How, schools aren't getting
1: worse I'm sorry. Absolutely, e- education. No, 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 no. You can make a case, though that's not true at all. Public education in the United States has been in decline. Uh, we know that. We have definitive – It's more segregated today in the United States than it was during Jim Crow. So if you are if you are one of the you are know, the unfortunate to, to not live in a wealthy white area. Your, your, your education is nowhere near as good. And you see education funding in France is also coming under serious strain as well. And so immigrants in that sense well, I, put strain on people. I'm not going to talk about, so, talk look, about the American here,
0: side, but the French, the French side I would dispute. But keep going.
1: But let's, let's talk about jobs in France. Let's talk about the stability of, of, of jobs. And again, they look at governments – Particularly in France and in the United States, where the the rich get richer and and the guy is just not winning and and again i 'm not saying that whether or not that's right or wrong, but that is the reality. The statistics support the fact that wages are not going up they support the fact that opportunities are not growing for the next generation and and in government, what are they doing and I, one government i mean you 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 just had a French president before before macron who you know what did he do that would be an entirely
0: different conversation which would take another hour, uh, no, hour but, ta- but, ta- tafatsua, but you, you wanted just to said add government something. is
1: an impossible task and you put no. mediocre people there and of course they're going to deliver mediocre results That's i want to answer i want to give he- you
0: a 10 minute answer so bad but tafatsua, <laughs> you wanted to say <laughs> like, something
1: eric eric I, I, I i'm sort of like
2: smack in the middle of of, of my view is smack in the middle of both of you. I do think governments have an impossible task in as far as pleasing everyone. Uh, you can't do that. It's impossible. Um, however, uh, a lot of incompetence comes into play as well, because for me, I, I look at governments, and a lot of times you look at it and you actually ask yourself, would I employ this person? No. And if, if as an individual, I wouldn't employ them, the, the country then definitely shouldn't be employing them. So I think there needs to be a balance um, between what we expect of our governments, but also the, 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 the minimum must be that they deliver what they're supposed to, what, what a competent person would deliver. Otherwise, you need to be
1: fine. They've got to deliver what they're supposed to, and they don't do that for them in many parts. And that's, I yeah, think, but the where frustration is, that a lot of people have. Where is the
3: notion coming from that a politician wants to make everyone happy? They don't want to make everyone happy. They want to make their own voters, their clientele, their target audience happy. Not everyone I mean, well, that's the whole premise. I, I, I get voted by a certain group of people and I work for their interests because they voted for me. I'm not trying to make everyone happy. I'm trying to not, maybe not make it worse for them. But uh, why do I care about uh, the conservative voters if I'm a social democrat, for example? I would argue I that I, I would hope that the government
0: wor- would work for everyone. Yes, with a bias, but hopefully it works for the country. And yeah, of course,
3: but yeah, it, it's, but, it's not like you want to make them happy no matter the cost. I have stuff to add, but Tafatua, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I still think okay, maybe make them happy is, is a wrong uh, wrong phrase. But I what I'm trying to say is just you can't satisfy everyone. Um, but remember that the job, your job, is to. To to effectively deliver for everyone, you're not delivering just for your for your voters, eh?
3: For the people yeah. who voted for you. I, uh, no, of course a... you're not, but in it, that's that's the reality. Uh-huh. I mean that's practical politics.
0: Well, I will say that when I'm saying they have an impossible job, I think a lot of people look at how they run a business, for example, and think, well, I could do this like that, and don't realize the complexity yeah. of running no, a country. That's, you know, that's
1: complete garbage. You're right.
0: I. What is? You mean that they, the people? I don't understand. Do you mean the politicians are working, not working well, or?
1: No, I think this idea that well, because someone can run a business, they can run a government right. is just garbage. Okay, I mean, that is because, just. I mean that is just yeah. absurd because yeah, they're two different you. skill sets altogether. Exactly, and managing and- the constituency stakeholders, the timing. Uh, just, we romanticize and, uh, the scale, but we also romanticize business people as being kind of they solve every solution and, and and I mean they solve every problem and and it's just it's they're two totally different things. I mean, and what it, I was just yeah,
0: what I was getting it's, at when I was saying you know the the impossible task I think is talking more about infrastructure and the fact that you know you have well again this doesn't necessarily apply to the U.S. but uh, healthcare education, unemployment, uh, benefits, retirement, you know, all of those huge things are more or less well, and certainly there are challenges as our countries and makeup of societies change, but they're being taken care of by the governments. And it's not an easy task And going like, oh, you know, this, there's more unemployment and more this and more that. Yes, sometimes you hit a rough patch and maybe there are things that need to be changed, but throwing everything out because some of it is not working is a childlike behavior. And that's what I was trying to get at when I was saying, you know, people going to the conclusion that governments suck and politicians suck and like, you know, going to that extreme, I think is incredibly childish and, and uh, counterproductive behavior. So uh, now I, you're back I, to I the have a question, though. Yeah, go if, ahead, I, I've never understood
2: why um, politicians. Because people will say government sucks. My wages, my wages have have stayed the same, uh, but everything else has gone up. But they wouldn't say my employer sucks because I mean that's the person paying you that wage. I mean, so how? how I, I I've never understood that logic to say. <laughs> To blame politicians for wages yes their policies may affect but surely well i know? would
0: i would argue that the politicians well, set the macro uh conditions you know the macro uh, uh knobs now, yeah. and levers for the way the 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 country and the the economy evolves so uh, of course there is some influence of the of the, hmm.
3: the politicians but. It is that the framework they're setting. But yeah. then again, politicians tend to glorify themselves as the problem solver for everything. Mm. I, that's that's that's. They try to uh, project this image that they can solve everything, even though they can't. It's not not a single politician has ever created a job unless he's cre- creating a position in his uh, office or something. <laughs> I mean, that's that's always the case that it's only the framework that <clears> they take. Uh, they claim so, it for themselves anyway uh,
2: so, so basically the so basically the, the the politician says i can solve this and then they don't solve it so then they get blamed for it okay okay that okay that makes sense.
0: <laughs> that sounds like it yeah that sounds like it makes complete sense All right. I think we're going to stop there. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone, for participating in this uh, lively conversation. Uh, Before we leave, I do want to give everyone a chance to tell us where we can find them uh, online, if they have some kind of uh, online activity. And uh, of course, I'm going to start with, I guess, Eric, Uh,
1: China and Africa. you, You know your stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, you can follow us. We have a discussion every week. In fact, this week's show is going to be on Zimbabwe. So I hope everybody joins us. We, we're, we're interviewing uh, folks from the South African Institute of International Affairs on all issues related to Zimbabwe. But you can find us at ChinaAfricaProject.com. Look me up on LinkedIn and follow me there. Uh, also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject.
0: Excellent.
3: Thank you very much. Uh, what about you, Matthias? You can find me on Twitter. The handle is at Matzekut, which will also be in the show notes. So if you want to talk more about this or tell me why I'm completely wrong or something, just uh, hit me up there and strike up a conversation. Uh, Tafazgo, do you have, uh, I, I think you
0: have a Twitter account. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah.
2: You... Well, okay. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook.
0: It's Tafansko.marere, all of them. Excellent. Uh, I'll link the Twitter account or, or, in the... Yeah,
2: or, or, or add tafadzwa marere. So it's just, you, 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 you know my full name, so I think just use that. So if you've gotten any of them, I think you should be able to pick
0: it up. Excellent. I'll have the link to the Twitter account in the show notes, of course. Okay. Um, and for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find the show at FrenchSpin.com. And uh, if you want to help out, there are a couple of ways. You can go to iTunes and leave a review. Um, that is always helpful, of course. iTunes or any other, uh, any other co- podcast catalog, but you can also even more importantly, um, go to Patreon and, uh, support the show financially. That is of course the most, uh, helpful and efficient way of doing it. Um, you just go to patreon.com slash the club, the show, the notes, the link will be in the show notes. Uh, it takes a couple of minutes. You can subscribe for one or two episodes a month or however many you want and, uh, stop, The subscription, whenever you want, it's completely your choice and it helps the show tremendously. That's how I actually finance the production. So I would very much appreciate your support. If you think the show is interesting, uh, provides some kind of value, be it entertainment or information or anything like that. And on that topic, I'd like to encourage you to go listen to the previous episode we did, which was a special uh, entitled Life as a Woman. We actually had, well, I had uh, four women on the show who just told us what they, uh, you know, what their experiences are in daily life. And uh, of course, their experiences with harassment and uh, inequality and we talked about a concept that is that uh, Allison, uh, one of our guests, discussed <laughs> uh, initially in her show, which is the idea of paper cuts, where uh, the the inequalities and the harassment isn't necessarily something that bludgeons you over the head every time, but it's paper cuts, and one paper cut is fine, but if you get multiple paper cuts every single day at work, I suspect you get tired of it first of all, and then it does influence the way you behave. Um, every day, so we discussed this at length. It was a very uh, challenging episode for me to to do. I was trying to be as uh, silent and respectful as I could, and listen to what they had to say. I think ultimately we did a good job. We had tremendous feedback from a lot of people, so I think the episode works. Uh, so yeah, again, I would encourage you to go and listen to it. It's uh, the previous episode in the feed. It's a special called "Life as a Woman." Thank you very much to everyone for listening to this show. And we will be back uh, very soon. We'll talk to you then. Bye.